Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Joshua. Happy Monday, friends and faithful listeners. This is Jen with the Bible Explained podcast, and we're in Joshua chapter 13 today. We're just flying through Joshua, actually. We only have like, I think we're already halfway through the book of Joshua. Yeah, we are. We're more than halfway through the book of Joshua. And so we have a lot to read today. Of course, I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. as I always do, but feel free to read out of the version that you prefer. But um, I'm going to be reading all of Joshua 13. There's a lot of uh, interesting names in this, so please forgive me ahead of time if I don't know how to pronounce some of these names. But we're going to talk about the divvying up of... Israel and all the tribes of Israel in the promised land and what tribe got what. So that's what we're discussing today. So go ahead, grab your Bible out of the version that you prefer. And let's go ahead and flip to Joshua chapter 13 and read all of it verses 1 through 33. Now Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Yahweh said to him, you are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to be possessed. This is the land that still remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all the Gershorites, from the Shehor, which is before Egypt, even to the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites and the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, also the Avim, on the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Maria that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphak, to the border of the Amorites and the land of the Gabalites, and all of Lebanon towards the sunrise from Baal Gad under Mount Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mesrapoth, Maim, even all the Sidonians. I will drive them out from before the children of Israel, just allocate it to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. With him the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, even as Moses the servant of Yahweh gave them. From Aror, that is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the plain of Medeba to Debon, and all the cities of Sihon the king of Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon to the border of the children of Ammon, and Gilead, and the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites, and all of Mount Hermon, and all Bashan to Selica and all the kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and in Edrai, who was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. For Moses attacked these and drove them out. Nevertheless, the children of Israel didn't drive out the Geshurites, nor the Machathites, but Geshur and Machath live within Israel to this day. Only he gave no inheritance to the tribe of Levi. The offerings of Yahweh, the God of Israel, made by fire are his inheritance, as he spoke to him. Moses gave to the tribe of the children of Reuben according to their families. Their border was from Aror, that is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the plains of the Medeba, Heshbon, and all its cities that are in the plain, Debon, Bamoth Baal, Beth Baal Maon, Jahaz, Kedemoth, Maphath, Kiriathim, Sibma, Zareth, Shehar, in the mount of the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, Beth Jeshemoth, 
and all the cities of the plain, and all the kingdom of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, who Moses struck with the chiefs of Midian, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the princes of Sihon, who lived in the land. The children of Israel also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer with the sword, among the rest of their slain. The border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben according to their families, the cities, and its villages. Moses gave to the tribe of Gad, the children of Gad, according to their families, their border was Jazer, and all the cities of Gilead, and half of the land of the children of Ammon to Aror, that is near Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramoth Mizpah, and to Betanim, and from Mahanim to the border of Debir, and in the valley Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukkoth, Zaphon, and the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, the Jordan bank, to the uttermost part of the sea of Chinnereth, beyond the Jordan eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad, according to their families, the cities and its villages. Moses gave an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was for the half-tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. Their border was from Mahanim, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, and all the villages of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead, Ashtaroth, and Adri, the cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan, were for the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, even for the half of the children of Machir, according to their families. These are the inheritance which Moses distributed in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho eastward. But Moses gave no inheritance to the tribe of Levi, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is their inheritance as he spoke to them. To start out, verse 1 says that Joshua was old and well advanced in years. So Joshua was very old. And where we left off last time in Joshua chapter 12, we talked about how the land had rest from all these wars for a very long time. And Joshua obviously ended the wars, uh, gained a, a good chunk of the promised land, like all of the South region, and then he grew old in years. So this just shows that no matter how old somebody gets, they never have to be done. They will always have a purpose. God uses people that are young. He uses people that are old. He uses males. He uses females. He uses absolutely everybody. Joshua was no exception. He was very old. He was actually probably very old by the time he led Israel at the very beginning in the promised land because he was a young man when the rebellion had already happened. So he was at least, I would guess, in his 60s when he led the Israelites initially into battle. And God gave him a lot of tenacity in spite of his old age. But, you know, even though he is well advanced in years is what it says in scripture, we don't know how old exactly that is. He was quite old, and he was probably one of the oldest people in Israel, if you want to think about that, because everybody other than Joshua and a handful of others uh, died in the wilderness. That was the Israelites' curse for not wanting to go into the promised land, for not trusting in God to bring them safely into the promised land. So you got to think about how old Joshua really was. And I wonder how that made Joshua feel understanding and knowing that he was one of the oldest people in Israel, it might have made him feel very insecure at times. But I also might be just talking from experience on that one. As I get older, and probably a lot of you are laughing at me because I'm still in my late, I'm in my late 20s. 
I'm not going to say exactly how old I am, but as I get older, I guess I notice more and more how much, uh, how much everybody focuses on the youth. And when I was a youth, I never noticed it. You know, I didn't care. I, I believed that I was invincible and <laughs> I, I never cared about that. And I didn't think I was focused on enough. But anyway, I, I notice now how much people focus on the youth because the youth is the future, right? It's kind of become not exactly an insecurity, but I, I'm just noticing it. I'm just noticing how much the youth is is paid attention to. And so I kind of wonder if Joshua felt the same way. But the thing was, God didn't feel that way about Joshua. He gives Joshua a role. He gives Joshua something to do, a purpose in his old age. And this task is not to wage like a new war, but to divvy up all the land that hasn't been taken yet. And this is really interesting because Joshua probably thought that he couldn't divvy up the land until he went and like fought for it, until it was truly in Israel's possession. But God's like, no. No, you're going to divvy it up now, even though it's not in Israel's possession at this moment. It will be in their possession. I'm going to give it to them. But regardless, divvy it up right now. And this is Joshua's new role as leader. Even though he he's old and can't wage war anymore, he can still allocate land to the different tribes. And then it goes into all the land that hasn't yet been taken that God was going to give the Israelites. It goes into that from verses three all the way through seven, I believe. And then in verses eight through the end of the chapter, it talks about the land that the tribes have already received. So it talks about the the half tribe of Manasseh and also the tribe of Reuben and Gad. If you remember way back when Moses was still alive, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, so not the full tribe, but half of the tribe of Manasseh, actually already received their promised land over the Jordan River. So like on the other side of the Jordan River, their land was already given to them under the one stipulation that those two and a half tribes would cross over the Jordan with the rest of Israel and help the rest of Israel take the promised land. Then the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh could go back over the Jordan River and uh, take the land that they already had. And they were happy with that inheritance. They were happy with that piece of their promised land. And so that was okay for them to do. And it kind of goes into that. It reminds the reader here that the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh already received their inheritance and it kind of talks about what that inheritance is and the borders of it now this makes a lot more sense if you read this entire chapter side by side with like a map of the promised land back in these days there's a lot of maps that you can look at online it's actually really cool to uh, look at the map and read this side by side because you can see exactly where each tribe would go so anyway it talks about all of that and then in verse 14, it mentions that only he gave no inheritance to the tribe of Levi. The offerings of Yahweh, the God of Israel made by fire are, in it, are his inheritance as he spoke to him. So Levi was kind of a special tribe. 
that once again did not receive an inheritance of land. Instead, their inheritance was God. Their inheritance was the sacrifices that were brought to the temple. The Levites could share in those sacrifices. Now, this didn't mean that the Levites couldn't own land or have like a piece of land for themselves. Rather, it meant that the tribe of Levi didn't get their own like allotment of land, if that makes sense, because each tribe was almost like a state. Like if you think of it as like the United States of America, that's kind of how I think of it anyway, or like counties or something like that. It was kind of similar to that. Each tribe would have their own section. Levi didn't have that. Instead, Levi was supposed to disperse into all the different tribes and they could own land in those different tribes, in those different areas, but they were supposed to go everywhere and like help all of the people. The tribe of Levi was um, holy. It was set apart for that specific role of going into all of Israel and spreading God to all of them, similar <laughs> similar to you and I, how we go out into the world and we spread the gospel to every creature. In fact, we are considered to be Levites because we have God as our inheritance. We have eternal life as our inheritance. We share in God's glory. That is our inheritance when we believe in Jesus. And just like the Levites had to go out and disperse among all the tribes and help them, you know, understand more about God. That's exactly what you and I are supposed to do. We're supposed to evangelize and spread the word to every creature. But there's one more theme I want you guys to pick up on in this chapter. The theme being that God wanted Joshua to divvy out the land before they even took it. This would once again be complete reliance on God. For God to do what he said he was going to do to help the Israelites take this promised land. And Joshua, who was very old, was not necessarily going to help take this land. God was saying he was going to do this in the future. And the Israelites should now be given their inheritance, even though there are still people living in that land. So this is God asking the Israelites to just be reliant on him, to rely on everything. So when God gives a promise, he always keeps it. Always. That is one thing you can definitely count on with God is that if he gives you a promise, he's going to keep it. So there are so many promises in scripture that are meant for you and for me. How often do we trust in those promises that God is going to keep them? I would guess very infrequently, if ever, especially in my case, like I forget when something bad happens to me, I forget about all the promises I've ever read ever in scripture, and I just focus on this one bad thing that's in front of me, and I forget about God's promise keeping, how he always keeps promises. He always keeps covenants. He always keeps promises. What's that song, Waymaker, where it says he's the promise keeper? That is who he is. So because God makes promises and keeps promises to us, we can rely on those promises, so next time you're reading through the Psalms or reading uh, whatever scripture passages you're reading, look for promises and write them down. I did this in Psalm 119, which is the, lo the longest psalm in the Bible. 
I actually uh, have a journaling Bible that I love, and uh, I don't bring it to church because <laughs> I'm embarrassed of people to see my notes in it because I write in it all the time, and I don't want the person next to me reading whatever personal note I made in my Bible because it's kind of like my diary sort of. But anyway, uh, I have a journaling Bible. I absolutely love it, and um, it has lines on each page where you can write stuff down. And so I ended up going through Psalm 119 and circling every single uh, verse that was a promise. And there were so many promises just in Psalm 119 alone, like so many promises. I can't remember how many I counted, but uh, it was a lot. And so I wrote all those down for me to remember next time I'm like struggling with something, I can flip to Psalm 119 and read every single promise that is in Psalm 119 that God gives to us. So next time you're reading scripture, if you have a notepad, go through whatever portion you're reading and pick out the promises that God makes. Write them down and remember those next time you're going through a struggle because God is the promise keeper. He made a promise here to the Israelites right here in verse six, where it says, I will drive them out before the children of Israel, just allocate the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. That's a promise. That was a promise that God, in fact, kept for his people. Just as he promised Abraham hundreds of years before this, that Abraham's descendants would become like the sand on the seashore and that they would inherit the promised land. God has consistently kept that promise over the years. And the Israelites are still in the promised land to this day. Even though uh, things have happened over the years where they go in and out of the promised land, God has consistently kept that promise to the Israelites. So what promises are you forgetting about that you've read recently that God made and that God will keep for you? Okay, faithful listeners, well, I'm over here on Apple Podcasts, and I told you guys I want to start reading more comments and reviews that you guys give. And here's a review that I noticed on Apple Podcasts. And by the way, thank you guys so much for reviewing the podcast, because everybody that does review it is helping the podcast get spread to more people. That's just how reviews work. And uh, the algorithm like bumps up the podcast and stuff like that. So I noticed this review that was done earlier this month on Apple Podcasts, and this review is from the Dark Lord of the Red Blood Sea. I listen every morning at 4 a.m. Love the podcast. Thank you. So that's awesome that you get up that early at 4 a.m. and you're listening to the podcast. I appreciate that uh, somebody gets up to listen to it because... (laughs) I'll be honest with you guys. I record these podcasts ahead of time. I am not awake at six in the morning to uh, record these live for you, but I air them at 6 a.m. or for some people at 4 a.m., depending on the time zone you're in, for people who commute to work and want to wake up early and start their day with the Bible. So I'm glad that it is reaching you, Dark Lord of the Red Blood Sea, and thank you so much for your review on 
Apple Podcasts. Now, of course, if you write a review, I may read it here on the podcast and thank you and respond to it. But anyway, guys, I will see you all tomorrow. I hope that you join me for John chapter 19. We are moving through Jesus's death and resurrection. So tomorrow's going to be a great episode about Jesus being buried in the tomb. I hope you join in then 6 a.m. or whenever you choose to wake up. Happy listening and God bless.